If you have your Bibles, please turn in the Word of God to Hosea chapter number 6. Hosea chapter number 6. Teenagers are probably going, this is where we were for Sunday school. I've found that when you're studying in a portion of Scripture and then you get ready to preach, there are many times that God will give you more out of what you've already studied. And I was preparing both to preach this and this afternoon and to do Sunday school, and I was uh, pouring over everything that I looked at, and God said, well, you're going to go back to Hosea chapter 6. And I said, well, I, I just teach, taught out of that. I almost said, I just teached out of it, okay? <laughs> I just taught out of that with the teenagers. You're going, going back to Hosea chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 6. The Bible says, Come, and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on, to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth." For I desired mercy, and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I want to take a few moments this afternoon and deal with having the same desires as God. Having the same desires as God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the day. Lord, thank you for the good service we had this morning. Thank you so much for those who were able to come out. Lord, I pray that you would help me this afternoon, help me to relay what you've given to me. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to communicate how you've worked in my life. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who are out here today. Help them to be able to receive what you're ready to give in your precious son's name. Amen. We live in a day and age that is filled with the desires. Desire for something. Okay, I think about it today. How many of you desire some lunch? Okay. You think about this, we each of us desire different things, whether it's a burger from Five Guys, whether it's a coffee from Duncan, whether it's a car from Ford. If you decide to take a car from Ford, that's on you. (laughs) Whether it's a friend to confide in or a soulmate to spend the rest of your life with. We each have desires that go on in life. You think about it this morning. You desired the color clothes that you wore, unless you're a husband and you had your wife pick it out, okay? You desired to please your wife in in wearing what she picked out for you. When you think about these desires, having a desire for the right things, okay, how many of you have ever gone on a diet before? How many of you have gone on those terrible diets that say you should put away all chocolate and all sugar? That's an emphatic. Yes, see, I agree with Samuel over here, okay? 
Well, what happens when you go on that diet? You say, okay, well, I'm supposed to not eat chocolate. I'm supposed to not eat these wonderful, glorious pieces of food. Okay. What's the desire that's there to eat chocolate and these glorious pieces of food? Is that the right desire to have during a diet? No. So my wife was talking to me because I'm supposed to be cutting out the majority of my sugar. Shh, don't tell her. Okay. And there, and there are times, I, I went into the store yesterday. Brother Matthew was meeting me at Hannaford's. Walked into the back. I had a singular dollar bill. You know what they sell at Hannaford's? Singular dollar bags of candy. So I walk into the back. I'm standing there. I know he's on his way. I go, sour gummy worms. Take them and I walk them back. I pay for them. I get my one penny back. They're 99 cents. So in case you didn't know. Okay, Hannaford's down on Fort Eddy Road. Walked back, and I'm sitting out there, and I'm eating my gummy worms. I'm going, yeah, I really shouldn't be eating these. <laughs> okay? It wasn't the right desire that I should have. Okay? How many times in the Christian life do we not have the right desire that we should have? The desire to serve the Lord. The desire to please the Lord. Okay? In looking at this today, we're going to look at having the, uh, the right desires, having God's desires. Looking at Israel at this point, Hosea chapter 6, for this, this might be a little bit of a, re- a review for the teenagers. But uh, Hosea is looking at the nation of Israel. Israel is in a state of spiritual adultery against Almighty God. Israel has turned, uh, turned their back on Almighty God. They're serving the gods of Baal, of Moloch, and Ashtaroth at this point. Okay, they're living in a time where prosperity was abounding where they had no need for anything. They, and they were living in a time where ultimately they, when Hosea stood up and he, and he preached the coming judgment, it was a foreign concept to them because they were sitting here in this prosperity that they were, and they were living in. Hosea stood up and, and, and he, he noted the selfish wants inside the land and he foretold of the coming judgment. And what we see here today is Hosea noted a couple things about the nation of Israel. And then he also noted something about God. Okay, so the first thing I want us to look at is we, we, we see, number one, having the right desires. Okay, we see in the nation of Israel, we see a goodness that was empty. A goodness that was empty. Hosea chapter 6, verse number 4. The Bible says this, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. I asked the teenagers, teenagers this morning, I said, I said, how long does dew stick around for? Not mountain dew, Brother Jordan, but dew. You think about it, it's usually gone by noon at the latest. Usually it's gone before then. You know, it, it comes and goes day to day. What Hosea was noting about the nation of Israel here was he was noting that, noting that their goodness, it was just coming and going. It was up and down. Okay, and he was noting this about the nation of Israel to say, hey, this is something we need to look at. This is something that we need to address. The morning cloud and dew illustrate their, and their, and their presence in the fact that they, and they disappear quickly when the sun comes up and its hot rays burn away the morning cloud and the dew. It's, it's a wonderful picture of the faith of Ephraim and Judah because it's short-lived. 
Like like many today in in the world, we we live in a day and age where spirituality is short lived. Spirituality is is not lived on through life. I think about we knocked on the door yesterday. Um, and there was a lady who had been going to a church. I'm trying to remember where she went. I, I can't remember the door, the name or anything, but she had been going to the church since back in the seventies. And I looked at her, I said, you don't hear about that nowadays. She looked back at me and she said, I'm old school. I said, well, old school is good school. I said that, that commitment, that faithfulness to church. I said, I'm not going to sit there and be able to talk her off where she's going. You think about this. If you were going to the same place, okay, there are, and there are those of us, we don't even go to a place that long. Okay. I can't tell you, I can't have been to friendlies down here on Loudon road more than 20 times. Okay. Over the course of 10 years. That being said, I could tell you exactly what I'm getting when I walk in there and you're not moving me off of it. (laughs) You know why? Because I'm set on it. What Hosea is noting here about the faith of Israel and of Judah, of Ephraim and Judah, is he's noting the fact that they, and their their spirituality was back and forth. It was back and forth. They were hot someday. I think about the message preached by Pastor Parsons, where you had you had cold, lukewarm, and hot. They they were up here some days, back here some days, up here some days, back here some days. You'd almost think you you're getting whiplash with driving. Because you're going, oh, oh. And you, th- you think about the, the goodness that, that Hosea was looking for. He was saying, okay, look, the goodness of the Lord and being filled with the goodness of the Lord. And he's looking at the land and saying, your goodness, it's, it's as the morning dew. It comes and it goes. I was challenged by this because how often and those of you who are here this morning, you, you already heard this morning's message. How often is that the same in my life of saying, okay, hey, the goodness of the Lord, the, the, the drive inside of me of serving the Lord, of wanting to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons, the right desires, the right motives. How often that, that is there and then it's gone. But then how often am I so used to a spiritual routine of coming in on a Sunday morning I think about Caleb up here leading music. I'm very thankful that Caleb jumped up and led music for me today. When you think about this, how, how quickly if I got up here and I started leading music, if I just didn't have God in me, and can I tell you, I know what it's like because there's been times that it's happened. And such a spiritual routine of getting up here and you go, how great thou art, how great thou, and it does nothing. And you're just a spiritual shell with nothing on the inside. And the goodness of the, uh, of the Lord and saying, okay, hey, that goodness, it's, it's not there today. And I was challenged with this fact of saying, okay, how consistent are we in serving the Lord, having that desire because if you look at the life of Jesus throughout the course of his ministry here on earth, the Lord was pretty consistent. He consistently went after souls. He consistently honored and glorified God the Father. And he consistently lived a right and holy life, even in the face of when he was alone and he was tempted out in the wilderness. 
I was challenged by this for, for me looking at having the right desires for God and that goodness that, that Hosea looked at Ephraim, looked at Judah and said, hey, it's not there. It's not there. So I was challenged by that. Okay, now looking, you know, looking at this goodness that was empty, making sure that we are serving the Lord for his honor, for his glory, so that it's not coming back on us. I think about um, when I was down at college, brother Charlie Clark, he always made the statement. He always said when somebody would come up to him and compliment him. And he said, now he's like, I have to catch myself. And genuinely, I feel like we all do when it comes to pride. He had to catch himself a lot when he first started getting into the ministry. And so he told hey, he told all of us preachers in homiletics, he, he made the statement, he said, I always have to catch myself and I have to go, praise the Lord. Because it's not me. It's not anything that I've done. But it's God. It's God who's doing everything inside of me. And making sure that I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit. Now, not only do we see Hosea look at Ephraim and Judah and see the goodness that was empty, but we also see a rebuke that was exhaustive. Okay, if you if you look at Hosea six five, it starts out actually, yeah, six five, where it says, "Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets; I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as light that goeth forth." Okay, that judgments are as light that goeth forth. What Hosea was saying here is that he, it was going to be plain as day. It was going to be plain as day. You think about it, if, if we were to shut off all the lights, and we already shut off the lights this morning, we're not going to shut them off this afternoon. If we were to shut off all the lights in this auditorium and close all the blinds so it was pitch black in here, okay, and I were to take Brother Noah Tedarenko back there and put him in the back and throw a baseball at him. You, I know you could probably catch it because you played, you played baseball for years. For sake of illustration, no. <laughs> And you think about this pitch black, you throw something at someone across the room, the odds of it hitting them and them not realizing it was even coming. is pretty good. Especially if you're saying, all right, you ready? How many of you guys growing up played catch out in the yard and you'd always get thrown the ball when you weren't ready? Okay, my sister would be back there and go, yep, that was me with my brother. Okay, she had black eyes to prove it with a baseball. Throwing a baseball to her and she didn't even know how to catch one. What Hosea is saying here about Ephraim and Judah, he's saying you're going to see it plain as day. If I put brother Noah back there and threw, uh, threw a baseball to him, he'd catch it. And we'd be able to throw it back and forth. No issues. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because we can see it. Okay? That's what Hosea is saying here. He's saying the judgment that's coming to Ephraim and Judah, they're going to see it plain as day. I made the statement to the teenagers this morning. If you look at the history in the nation of Israel and you look at when Israel fell throughout the, and the many times throughout the course of history, it was always when they had turned their back on God. They, they, they said, okay, hey, we're good now. Then they fell. Then they turned back to God. They were brought back up. They were exalted. Then they said, oh, we're good now. Then they fell. 
if you if you follow this course through Hosea was a pre um, final fall of Jerusalem prophet. Ultimately, what what ended up happening was the nation of Israel would then fall to King Nebuchadnezzar and the and the nations of Babylon. It was very clear and plain as day when judgment came, because Nebuchadnezzar then surrounded the nation, uh, the city of Jerusalem, cut them off until they were weak enough. And then took them captive. That's where we see like Daniel, we see um, Nehemiah, we see Ezra, we see these uh, these guys who wrote these books, the prophecy there. Okay, in looking at this, the judgment that was coming, there 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 were five sins that were in this rebuke. We saw the, and I'll just run over them quickly for sake of time this afternoon. We, uh, we see, number one, we see the, the, disp- uh, the sin of the display, okay? Sinning in how they were professing. They had a form of godliness, but no heart in their profession of faith. So you think about uh, faith, you think about this, um, you go over into the New Testament, and, and you, you hear, um, in the last days, perilous times will come. And then in that, that list, they have having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You see, uh, you see the... Um, the sin in the display in verse number six, where it says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Okay. And how, and how they were sinning in the fact of looking and saying, okay, well, Hey, God desires the sacrifice. God desires the burnt offerings, but, in, uh, in, but rather God was desiring to extend mercy. God was desiring for them to know him. Okay. So we see the sin in the display. We see the sin in, um, verse number seven, where it says, and they like men have transgressed the covenant and have dealt treacherously against me. Okay. Looking at this transgressing against the government covenant, they, and they were breaking the covenant of God here and saying, okay, Hey, that covenant that we had with you doesn't mean anything. I think about it. If me and my wife, we have a covenant. Okay. The covenant of marriage. Okay, if I were to look at my wife and break that covenant and say, it doesn't mean anything, I'd have and that that wouldn't necessarily be for my wife, it'd be from all of you guys too. You'd be like, really? My, my mother in law would drive up here and after my mom and my dad would too. They say, come on. You think about how Israel was looking at God, that, that seriousness here of saying, okay, hey, they're looking at the covenant they had with God and they're going, that's fine. We're fine. We're okay to serve these other gods. Then we see the deadliness that they had too. Verse number eight, the Bible says, Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood, blood that was flowing in Gilead. One commentator made the statement, he said, he said, if we could even try to compare this to today's day and age, he said, the, the blood that is flowing out from our, from our country on a daily basis, whether it's from murders, whether it's from abortion, whether it's from, and you go down through the list of things that is blood in, the, in, in our world today and the sin that Hosea was addressing here. Then we see 
verse number nine, where the Bible says, and troops of robbers wait for, uh, for a man. So the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness, the defilement there by, by the, the, the religious leaders. Religious leaders were living defiled, immoral lives. Then, and then we see the whoredom of the doctrine that is in verse number 10, where the Bible says, I have seen an horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is whoredom of Ephraim, and Israel is defiled. Okay, it, bred, it bred the terrible type of conduct in, the, in a foul, worst way. So Ephraim, Hosea is looking at, at Ephraim, looking at Israel and Judah here, and he's saying, okay, hey, here's what you've done wrong. And the rebuke was exhaustive. Okay, having the right desire from God... Because honestly, I was looking at this and I was reading it and I'm going, okay, how can I have the right desires? How can I have the right actions? You say, well, this is a really drabby and drear passage of scripture to say the desires of God. Okay, my desire would be that if I was getting rebuked like this, I would have the, uh, the knowledge, the sense to say, you're right. And when I get a rebuke like that, to say, I need to fix some things. I need to get that right. I need to be serving the Lord. And be, why? Because if I'm getting rebuked like that, you know what's happening with my goodness? My goodness is like this. Why? Because of all of this that I'm doing. And if I want my goodness to be like this, constant, in a good spot, not, this is not constant in a bad spot, constant in a good spot, I've got to take care of these things. I've got to make sure these things are right. Okay? And in looking at this, one commentator made the statement. He said, The whoredom of Israel is not just a flirtation gone too far. In such a case, the guilty parties are often overwhelmed with a sense of uncleanliness and shame. Nor was Israel's whoredom merely a sinful, unblessed union entered into without regard for the conventions of society or laws of God. In looking at this, he continued on and he made the statement. He says, he, speaking of God, has an arsenal of weapons for punishing sexual sin. There are physical, psychological, medical, and spiritual consequences such as King David discovered. Hosea 12.10 says, I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Daniel 9.6 says, Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to, uh, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So why, uh, why did all this happen to Israel? Because of the disrespect of the covenant of God. Because of not listening to the prophets that God sent along. Because the Bible says here in verse number 5, it says, Therefore have I hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. Of the, and, and looking at this, God sent his people to say, hey, hey, this is coming. This is why. Get right. And Israel went, we're fine. God was looking for his people to come back to him. Can I tell you, even at this point, I believe God was still ready and saying, hey, turn back to me. I'm ready. Because in verse number six, this is where we see the desire that was eternal. We don't, we don't just have 
the goodness that was empty or the rebuke that was exhaustive. We see the desire that was eternal. And that's in verse number six, where the Bible says, for I desired mercy. I told the teenagers this morning, I made the statement. I said, I said, when we think about desiring mercy, okay, usually I think about the fact that I want mercy. I think about that. I'm looking at God and saying, Hey, have mercy upon me. I think about the statements that we've heard, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You think about the, these here. This is a, a different desire here, though. It's not the desire coming from Israel to God. But rather, it's God looking at Israel. And God's looking at Israel saying, hey, I desired mercy. I desired to be able to give you that mercy. Rather than the sacrifices. Because the sacrifices they were sacrificing like crazy to these other gods. And God's saying, hey, I just want to execute mercy with you. Saying, hey, if you'll just come back, I'll have mercy. I think about the prodigal son. When he came back to his father, he was expecting his father to put his foot down onto his neck, treat him as a servant. His father showed mercy. And you think, you think through how God, and God looking at the nation of Israel, his people, his children, and saying, I, I wanted to show mercy. God desires for each and every one of us to have a relationship, a knowledge of God. We see in this passage of scripture, in verse number six, it says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He didn't, he didn't want the nation of Israel necessarily to have empty sacrifices. He wanted them to have that relationship with God. He wanted them to be able to look and say, okay, hey, here's why I'm doing this. Can I tell you that? Okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. It's not a sacrifice. Okay, I'm not talking about how I've sacrificed something in the past few days. Okay, but I'll give an example. So there, and there's one specific thing that I'm not exactly a fan of, but I do because I love my family. And I'll tell you what it is, okay? And that's letting Rory out to go to the restroom, okay? Now you say, well, that's, that's weird. That's because my family works. I'm speaking of Pastor, Miss Crystal, and Miss Ruth, okay? I'm making sure that Miss Ruth's dog is taken care of, okay? In thinking about this, you know why I go and let that dog out? Because I have a relationship with them and I love them enough that I'm going to take care of their, uh, their items, okay? Their dog. Now, for them, that means the world to them. Ruth, uh, Ruth is very thankful that her dog gets taken care of. And you think through this and that uh, God was desiring that relationship, that knowledge of God more than the burnt offerings, which burnt offerings, that was a high form of worship. That was a high form of praise to God. And God was saying, hey, I desired the knowledge, that relationship. And you think about this, the reason why I do that, you say, it's, it's a minor thing to even compare it to, but it's because I've got a relationship with them that I'm going to do it. I'm not necessarily just going to go swing by and let some rant. Hey, you think about this. If I go knock on some random person's door who has a dog barking, I have no idea who's inside behind there. And I just let their dog out. (laughs) 
I'm in for some trouble. It's like, okay, hey, yeah, I heard a dog barking, be free. God, hey, God was sitting here saying, okay, hey, you're sacrificing, and there's not even a relationship that's here. That's what, and so that desire that was eternal here, I think about comparing this to you and I. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your affections on things above, not on the things of earth. Matthew 6, 19 says, lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Very simply, let God into your faith. Can, hey, can I challenge you with this? How many of us will come in and will sacrifice our praise to God when in reality we're empty? When in reality it's all a shell? When in reality it's, that was, that was challenging to me. Many times we get caught up in such a spiritual routine, we forget to let God be involved. I think about a pastor will make the joke. Okay, yes, we have an order of service up here. No, we don't follow it all the time. Okay, and he'll, he'll crack that joke about the fact of, there are times we're just going to let God do what God wants to do. And the reason being is because if we, can, if we sit here and we schedule things right down to the minute details, like if I were to get up here and say, Caleb, okay, at 10 o'clock we're singing Jesus Saves. It needs to be done by 10.03. Um, and then Willie and Bree, your, your praying and welcoming needs to be done in one minute or less. How Great Thou Art needs to be sung in two and a half minutes. We can stretch it to two minutes and 45. You guys see where I'm going with this? Very quickly, we can sit here and schedule God out of our day. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for having a routine. I'm all for having a list. I'm all for having a schedule of what we're doing. Okay, otherwise we wouldn't follow these. But we have to be willing to let God into our schedule. Because very quickly, we can write him out of it. Very quickly, we can live him out of it. If, if I woke up this morning and said, okay, hey, I don't need God walking to church. It'd be some terrible preaching. It probably already was, in all seriousness. You guys got, like, the mixed version of what God wanted to give you. Okay? And hey, you sit here and you say, okay, hey, I need God. Why? Because I couldn't handle it today without him. I couldn't get through today without knowing that he was coming with me because I had that relationship. You know why I wanted, I wanted to marry my wife? Because I had a relationship with her. I had a knowledge of, of loving her and wanting to be able to spend the rest of my life with that, that woman out there. There are many times that we'll profess that with God. While we live on the opposite side of where we have the profession and nothing on the inside. Of where we come to church and it's just empty. And, I, and I'm challenged by that today. I, I've told the teenagers, I've given my testimony a couple of times. But there, there was a time before I went to college that I lived the life, and I told the teenagers this, I lived the life of that, that hypocrite lifestyle. That life where when I was out working, it was not the Brother Peter you'd see in church. But when Brother Peter was in church, oh, it's Brother Peter. 
And I lived that lifestyle. I know what it's like to live over here and go, yep, I got my Christian shell on today. Yep, I'm a child of God. And then spend the rest of the week going, yeah, you know, I am a Christian, but, you know, I don't really, my goodness, it comes and goes. It's not constant. And having those desires of God, of saying, okay, hey, God desires that relationship. God desires to be able to love us, to execute mercy upon us. I I gave the example this morning, and and I'll close. Throughout the course of, uh, of the Bible, we see that God over and over executes mercy. Over and over. We saw it with the woman at the well. The woman that everybody looked at and said, no, you can't even go get water with us. And God showed mercy. The maniac of Gadara, who they said, oh, go chain that guy up outside the town. He's crazy. God showed mercy. The 10 lepers who the Lord sent back to show to the priest and he healed all 10 of them. Now, yes, we know one came back and thanked the Lord for it. And you think about this, God showed mercy there. But then more, uh, out of everything there, God showed mercy to each and every lost soul in need of a savior. And I was challenged by a singular verse over in, in Judges dealing with Samson where Samson was woken up because his, um, whatever you want to call her, Delilah, um, woke him up and and she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And Samson woke up and walked out and it it says he walked out as at all other times and he, he, he didn't know, I know I'm paraphrasing now, he didn't know that the spirit of the Lord had departed. And I'm challenged how many of us wake up on a daily basis and we say, hey, I can't even tell the difference. Think about what Pastor said. I was challenged last week, especially Brother Parsons, of how many of us think that lukewarm is hot. And how many of us are living that life of where, okay, hey, we've got our shell. Our goodness is all over the place. You think about it, if you were looking at a restaurant to go review you were going to go eat there and you pulled up the reviews. Think about it, brother Tom, if you were going to go do that and you got a five star, one star, five star, one star, five star, one star, five star, one star. And it just goes all, all the way like that. You'd probably go, I don't know about going to this place because some people say, Oh, well, yeah, it's great food. Some people go, yeah, no, I found hairs all, all in my food. How often is that how our goodness goes? Mm 